Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website and give them a call. It's johnsonsairconditioning.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator, will be joining us. We'll visit with Boo Mortensen up in Madison, Wisconsin. Seton Motley is the president of and founder of Less Government. And James, Dr. James Studnicki, he's the director of Dana Analytics at the Charlotte Lozier Institute. He's written a paper about racial disparities in abortion I found so interesting. Look forward to that discussion as well. It is September the 1st, and on this day in 1807, former U.S. Vice President Aaron Burr was acquitted of plotting to annex parts of Louisiana and the Spanish territory in Mexico to be used towards the establishment of an independent republic. He was acquitted on the grounds that, though he had conspired against the United States, he was not guilty of treason because he had not gauged in overt acts a requirement of the uh, law governing treason. Nevertheless, public opinion condemned him as a traitor, and he fled to Europe. In 1800, Jefferson chose Burr as his running mate under the electoral procedure then prevailing. President and vice president were not voted for distinctly. The candidate who received the most votes was elected president in the second in line, vice president. Jefferson and Burr each won 73 votes, and the election of was sent to the House of Representatives, where at first it seemed an electoral technicality. Handling Jefferson's victory over to his running mate developed into a major constitutional crisis when Federalists and the lame duck Congress threw their support behind Burr. After a remarkable 35 tie votes, a small group of sides, and voted in Jefferson's favor, Burr became vice president, but Jefferson grew apart from him, and he did not support Burr's renomination in the second term in 1804. That year, a faction of New York Federalists, who had found their fortunes drastically diminished after the ascendance of Jefferson, sought to enlist the disgruntled Burr in their party and elect him governor. Burr's old political antagonist, Alexander Hamilton, campaigned against him with great fervor, and he lost the Federalist nomination, and then, running as an independent for governor, the election uh, was also lost. In the campaign, Burr's character was savagely attacked by Hamilton and others, and after the election, he resolved to restore his reputation by challenging Hamilton in a duel or an affair of honor, as it was known. I think you know the story of Hamilton and what happened here. Actually, uh, Hamilton shot his gun into the air. Most of these things were resolved, by the way, because of the technicalities of how affairs of honors were having. But they showed up at Waukegan, New Jersey at 7 a.m. on uh, July the 11th, 1804, for this duel. And Hamilton, reportedly, fired his shot into the air, and Burr shot him in the stomach. He ended up dying from the event. Well, uh, in 1805, Burr, though discredited, concocted a plot with James Wilkinson, a commander-in-chief of the U.S. Army, to seize the Louisiana Territory and establish an independent empire, which Burr presumably would lead. He contacted the British government and unsuccessfully pleaded for assistance in the scheme. Later, when uh, border trouble with Spanish Mexico heated up, Burr and Wilkinson conspired to seize territory in the Spanish America for the same purpose. In the fall of 1806, Burr led a group of well-armed colonists towards New Orleans, prompting an immediate U.S. investigation. General Wilkinson, in an effort to save himself, turned against Burr and sent dispatches to Washington accusing Burr of treason. In February 1807, Burr was arrested to Louisiana for treason and sent to Virginia to be tried in a U.S. court. On September the 1st, he was acquitted on a technicality. Nevertheless, the public condemned him as a traitor, and he went on into exile in Europe. He later returned to private life in New York. The murder charges against him forgotten. He died in 1836. It's such an interesting story. You think politics are heated today. How about affairs of honor? Unbelievable. Well, there are five new cases of coronavirus and no additional deaths in Collier County uh, yesterday. How about that? Only five cases. Now, if you read the... Uh, 
Naples Daily News, they suggest, well, that's because we aren't doing many tests. Well, the seven-day moving average of new cases is now at 49. There are 57 COVID-19 patients in Collier County hospitals, way down from the high of somewhere close to 200. Uh, Kai has now plenty of beds, both in ICU as well as hospital beds available for those who get. And remember, the whole task was to uh, level the curve so that the hospital or the healthcare system was not overwhelmed. Certainly not now. Uh, yesterday, the first day of school, uh, we'll see how this all turns out. Some are saying we're going to see a spike because of going back to school. Let's hope not. Let's hope this thing is, uh, we're seeing fewer deaths and cases across the country. Hopefully, it's winding down. Well, Joe Biden finally emerged from his basement yesterday, among other things, to blame President Trump for the riots occurring across the country. Now, how President Trump is responsible for the riots being carried out by people who hate him remains a mystery, but it appears that Democrats realized that these riots were damaging them in the polls, so they finally began to pretend to care about the destruction. It would have been a Biden event without a notable, unquotable gaffe. And he provided one for us. Now, by the way, I, I, I watched the entire presentation. It's about 22 minutes long. And I thought he did a credible job. He was able to read from the teleprompters, although I must say he looked feeble. He tried to express enthusiasm and passion in his speech. But you know how we all get feeble at one point in time? And he just looked like an old man to me. Didn't look like presidential material. Anyhow, uh, Democrats were applauding his effort and said he did a great job. He attempted to slam the president's coronavirus response. He said, COVID has taken this year just since this is now, this is his gaffe. He said, COVID has taken this year just since the outbreak has taken more than 100 years. Look, here's the lives. It's just when you think about it, more lives this year than any other year for the past 100 years. Profound. He really said that. I'm not kidding. <laughs> he dropped off pizzas at a local firehouse, took photos with uh, first responders, and swung by a private fundraiser fundraiser headed by Cher, which is, she was there virtually before catching a flight home. Uh, it uh, For a moment, traditional campaigning, complete with chartered airplanes, announced visits, and sometimes awkward celebrity moments returned to America. But Biden's Monday trip to Pittsburgh, his first substantial trip of travel in months, was anything but normal. There are about a few dozen folks greeting him as he arrived at the, uh, I guess it was the Carnegie Mellon University building. There were just five reporters or so that were in the uh, site to watch him speak. He took no questions. My question is, why did he fly all the way to Pittsburgh to do this? He could have just stayed in his basement. He took no questions. And there are uh, an assemblage of a few dozen people outside to greet him. And when he went by and delivered the pizzas, now he was at the uh, firehouse, apparently. Uh, some guy was standing on top of the truck. He says, you're not going to get elected president. Uh, so uh, here's another quote from uh, from. Uh, Biden. He says, Donald Trump looks at this violence and sees a political lifeline, blaming the president for fanning tensions that have seen some protests against institutional racism and police brutality turn violent recently. In a nod to Pennsylvania's heavily energy independent economy, uh, energy dependent economy, Biden declared, I'm not for banning fracking no matter how many times Donald Trump lies about me. Well, you've seen the videos, I've seen them, where he says, uh, uh, we're going to cut out fracking. He said it. In a parking lot outside, I was, he's wishing well-wishers uh, well wishers swelled to uh, more than uh, about 50 or 60 people. Even after Biden's speech concluded, some waved ba uh, Biden signs and chanted, we want Joe. Now, just this in juxtaposition to our uh, president, when he goes someplace, hundreds and hundreds show up, if not thousands, Anyhow, Biden uh, comes from the basement. He was able to read the teleprompter. The, you know, of course, the uh, bar was low when you consider what he's able to accomplish, and he did read the entire speech with a few fumbles, like the one that I mentioned to you. But uh, I just don't understand why he flew all the way to Pittsburgh to take no questions and not to have uh, greet people. Delivered a few pizzas and visited a firehouse. Unbelievable. Joe Biden. We got to talk about these violent clashes between the massive pro-Trump caravan that took went through Portland. That uh, young man was killed. Unfortunately, he was singled out and shot. Now, uh, the president, of course, has offered to uh, send troops in. He said he'd solve this thing in an hour. 
Well, the sheriffs of Clackamas and Washington County in Oregon said they won't send staff to help with the nightly unrest in Portland after Governor Kate Brown unveiled a plan to bring an end to violence in the city. Washington County Sheriff Pat Garrett also released a statement on Monday saying he's committed to supporting Portland police through indirect ways like analyzing risks associated with social, social media, air support, and so forth. I do not plan to send deputies to work directly in Portland, Garrett said. According to the station, the lack of political, political support for public safety, the uncertain legal landscape, the current volatility combined with intense scrutiny over use of force presents an unacceptable risk if deputies were deployed directly. I like that statement so much because what he's pointing out is even if they do make arrests, the district attorney is not willing to uh, prosecute. That's a problem. If people know that they're not going to be prosecuted, you'll continue seeing the unrest. And then he's further saying that uh, there's a sharp eye on the law enforcement and they're going to be criticized. In other words, it's going to be harder on, on the police and law enforcement than it's going to be on the ones committing the crimes. Aggression police spokesman told the Oregonian, we are in agreement with uh, other agencies. Meanwhile, the Oregon Association of P Police Chiefs released a statement on Monday saying we cannot dedicate our limited resources away from the communities we serve. Well, back to square one for the governor and uh, the mayor of Portland. I suggest they call President Trump. He'll clean it up with the National Guard in an hour. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabee's.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Great season of productions lined up, and you can find out more and get tickets by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dr. James Studnicki. He wrote a paper about racial disparities in abortion. Look forward to talk about that. Right now we have with us Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Good morning, Kathleen. Well, cases of COVID-19 are down. We only had five uh, reported cases yesterday, although the paper's pointing out, well, we're not testing that many people. Uh, But school started yesterday. Any thoughts? Well, first of all, regarding COVID, I uh, uh, tend not to look at the total number of cases. I look at the positivity rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were up about, oh gosh, almost 18% in July at the peak. And now I think NCH, they're down below 5%. 5% is the uh, CDC guidelines for, okay, it's, you know, you can go ahead and open up um, safely. Hmm. So we're down below 5%, and uh, that's a good thing. I also tend to look at the hospitalization rate, and that's very low in Collier County. So. And I think a lot of it, and I disagree on this, a lot of it is because our citizens have been very um, proactive in wearing masks in public. Right. And that, I think, has made a difference. Um, I think there's a correlation, but I don't know that it's causal. (laughs) It wouldn't be my point of view. (laughs) No, I know. But, but you know, and and also we have a lot... uh, uh, a lot less uh, winter visitors here, but the whole state is showing a downturn in numbers, including Miami-Dade and Broward, which was the hot spot. So we could be on the right path. We just have to keep on um, being proactive with social distancing and masks. I, I agree with that. Of course, it'd be interesting to see what happens with regard to schools. I frankly don't know what kind of percentage we have of kids going to school to the brick and mortar versus virtual. It'd be interesting to get those statistics. I'm sure that many parents are very concerned about sending their kids to school. And then there's a bunch of parents that are saying, finally, I'm relieved that we can send our kids to school. Well, you know, the, the real issue is I think it's about 60% of kids are going back to school. And the real issue is there are a number of those, uh, you know, probably the vast majority of them are parents who work full-time. Right. And if they don't go to work, they don't get paid. And so, you know, they have no choice. Right. And I think the uh, I think Superintendent Patton is doing a great job with um, making it safe, and the teachers are working really hard to make it safe. And I think it's going to be okay, or I hope it's going to be okay. Yeah, I hope it is, too. You know, I, I talked to uh, Mark Schulman, who's in uh, Tel Aviv, yesterday, and he said that they opened the schools and everything spiked all over again. So uh, my hope is that we don't see that type of thing. I hope the, we're developing some herd immunity and kids will be protected from... And you know, here's the other thing, too. Uh, I think the youngest person who's died in Collier County f- with COVID, not even because of it, is uh, 32 years of age. So uh, the reports that I'm seeing is young people are fairly well protected uh, from any kind of serious health issues or, or you know, re- reaction to this, although they still can be carriers, I guess, carrying it home. Yeah, that's that's the problem. But I, but I think if the schools are careful, you know, with regard to distancing and masks, mm-hmm. the families continue to be careful. That that'll that'll make it a big difference. I think I, the spikes we're seeing amongst. Uh, the schools or the colleges, because those kids don't care. Yes, they absolutely refuse to wear a mask. I know, and they're they're out partying. But uh, so let's let's uh, change uh, directions here, because uh, my guess is we're seeing a lack of revenue to the state because through sales tax and other things that are going on, the right. county's been kind of the turned down the rheostat on on economic activity. Uh, right. That presents some problems, doesn't it? Well, it will for uh, for budget purposes for next year. You know, it's uh, sales tax are down, uh, uh, tourist tax are down. The only thing probably up are documentary stamp tax because the real estate market's hot. Uh, yeah. Uh, but so we're going to have to face it. We're going to make some tough choices when we uh, cross our budget next year. Yeah, and so uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the organizations that have typically been 
you know, asking for state funding are just going to go home empty-handed. Yeah. So uh, is there any kind of relief to the state from the federal government? I'm noticing, will there be a source of revenue coming in because of the, the law that was passed? CARES Act. Yeah, we, we, um, we're, ho- we're hopeful that the CARES Act funding, which we haven't quite gotten uh, approval yet, will be able to be used for um, to make up some of the losses mm-hmm. uh, that we've sustained. Um, some, you know, things that occurred because of the pandemic. Yeah. So it wouldn't, we couldn't use it to uh, offset, you know, like pension funds or issues that have nothing to do with the pandemic. Well, right, and I think that's good, but uh, there are some definite consequences because of the pandemic. So uh, I, it's <laughs> right. unclear to me what's going to happen with regard to unemployment. Uh, we know the clock, clock is ticking. Some of these federal programs are ending. What's going to happen to the people that are still unemployed as a result of this? Well, there's a couple of things. Uh, Governor DeSantis announced that he was going to um, uh, recommend we accept the uh, the Trump $300. Um, I'm not sure how they work it, but the funds that he was going to make available, and that should help those who are unemployed. But, you know, people are going back to work, which gets back to... Um, you know, kids in school, et cetera. Yeah. And people are learning how to work from home, and but it's it's still there's still a couple million unemployed, and it's a, it's not good. It's not good, no. And uh, there are businesses that are closing. It's just unfortunate to see. That's good. that's going to be the natural reaction of this. But what I'm hearing you say, and I think I'm hearing, is that the uh, governor's throwing a lifeline. He's going to be using some of these funds from uh, President Trump in his executive right. order to continue unemployment uh, for a while. Exactly. Anyhow, at least. So. $300 a week, which will help, but, it, you know, it's not a long-term solution. So we have to get the economy back, and the only way to do that is for businesses to be able to reopen, and we have to make sure that they can reopen safely and that we don't have another big spike. Yeah, I think I saw yesterday, too, that the governor uh, continued the uh, Eviction, in other words, the the uh, right. stay on eviction notices right now, because, of course, it's not helping landlords too much, but uh, at least there's going to be some really sure. people who are not going to go homeless as a result of this. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the the moratorium is on the eviction, but not on on actual owing of the, uh, of the rent. So ultimately, they're going to have to pay it, and I don't know how, I think that's going to be a challenge, because yeah. they don't have the money now, how are they going to? How are they going to finance it to pay their back payments? We'll uh, see how that pans out in the future. Great point. Kathleen Pasadoma, again, our uh, state senator. I genuinely appreciate you taking time and visiting <laughs> with us. Thank you so much for Thank joining you. us. Bye. Have Bye. a great day. You as well. Thank you, Kathleen. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Boo Mortensen up in Madison, Wisconsin. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples.
Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and uh, that's just one of the programs. Visit the website, thefga.org, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us Boo Mortensen up in Madison, Wisconsin. Boo, thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's my pleasure, and I have to say that the situation in Wisconsin is continues to be absolutely fascinating. Now President Trump is coming. Yeah. The governor said, don't come. We don't want you. You're divisive. You'll make things worse. <laughs> um, and he's coming anyway. What do you think? I mean, do you think that for the people of Kenosha, this is a good thing? It's a bad thing? For his political race, they will watch absolutely everything he says. Will it yeah, so, help or hinder? You know, President Trump is President Trump, and he'll go there. Some people, of course, will uh, they have uh, Trump derangement syndrome, and they're very upset about the fact it'll be there. The mayor apparently wants him to come. He sent in the National Guard, and apparently things settled down the the, the rioting and uh, of the burning and everything that's going on. I think his appearance there it will give him a visceral sense of what they're up against there in Kenosha. It can only help uh, from just any standpoint that I can think of. What do you think? You know, I don't know. I think that things there, just like in Portland, Oregon, um, are so unstable that it's hard to know whether or not it's just his presence is going to be calming or inflaming. Uh, You know, I don't know. It's hard to tell. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Um, I can't stand our governor, so in my mind, if he says don't come, I say bring him on. <laughs> yeah, so I like that. If I don't, you know, I'd like to just mention uh, Portland right now because the the violence continues there. The uh, governor has tried, or the mayor has tried to solicit uh, the surrounding counties to send their uh, law enforcement to help out. They've demurred. They say, no, we don't have an interest in showing up because we're, you know, there's too much danger there. But the, the real issue for me is the district attorney there. He he made uh, they made about six hundred arrests. He just released about half of them. He, he said he's not going to prosecute minor offenses such as interfering with the police, disorderly conduct, trespassing, and so forth. So people that that show up, they know there's not going to be any consequences, and they just go ahead and commit crimes and continue the looting and burning and what's going on. Finally, the federal prosecutors stepped in and said, then they're starting to make arrests, so maybe that'll help. But, uh, you know, we have these district attorneys across the country that say, well, I'm not going to... I'm not going to prosecute somebody that steals something less than $300. Well, what's going to happen? People are going to shoplift like crazy up to $300. I just think that the whole thing, I mean, I'm in a city that's a a mess, Mm. a mess. Everything is boarded up. Now they don't know how long people are going to stay boarded up. It's destroyed our downtown. Nothing has been gained. It hasn't furthered anybody's agenda it is absolutely, it shows weak leadership from the mayor, the city council, and the governor. They did absolutely nothing. They should, this is my motto for what should happen now. You act fast, you gain control, and you keep control. That's right. And nothing was done. 
and our city is it's it's a crime it's criminal to see what's happened to it and this this is not going to this is not a quick fix yeah i think people are still so afraid I, I, I don't know what. I mean, look, is it going to turn into a mini Portland? Well, you know, the, know. the president's basically said, you give us a call, we'll show up, we'll, we'll quell the riots in, in, a, in an hour. Yes. That's been his claim. He's the law and order guy. He's basically saying, we'll settle this down. Are, do you, are the leaders still saying, kumbaya, we're going to love this, love this thing into, <laughs> into submission? Yes, in Madison they are. Oh, yeah. my gosh. That's why this is just a, a hot mess. And... I think that there are a lot of other cities that this has happened to. Mm. I mean, nobody. We've been boarded up for now. I think this is going on a week and a half. It's killing businesses. The cops are telling people, don't come downtown. People are afraid to come downtown because of the constant demonstrating. It's just going to destroy so many businesses. And and it's been allowed to happen. I think the cops should say, open up. We We'll take care of you. We you know, will protect the downtown Madison. Well, I'll tell you what's happening in some cities. For example, Portland, where the, they're basically telling the cops, first of all, you're under very severe scrutiny, so don't screw up. And second of all, some of the things that you do in, in terms of law enforcement, we're not going to support. You're going to have to wind down some of the tools that you have in order to protect property, in order to uh, uh, deal with these uh, these people in, in the streets and the looters and the and the. <laughs> the people who are committing this violence. So where's the motivation for police officers to participate? They're not. Yeah. They're not. And they're not in Madison. Therein is the problem. What's the prior- priority, protecting the protesters or p- protecting businesses? Yeah. It-, it seems to me that they've made their decision that the protesters have the upper hand. Well, here's the thing. Um, the one number one thing that law enforcement, the government, is there for is to protect us from internal and external predators. And uh, these are definitely internal predators. The one responsibility of government, if nothing else, is to protect property and people. Right. Yes, yes. I, I can tell you because I see it down. You know, I'm smack dab in the middle of all of this. Mm-hmm. I look down. I see all these protesters. Now what they do is, you know, we live on this big square where the, the capital is in the center of it. They stop all the traffic, and uh, they take over the streets. Hmm. Now, it's not all violent, but it's still disruptive. Yeah. And the cops are nowhere. They, stop, they block all the streets coming into downtown Madison. They sit in their cars. And I'm not blaming the cops. This is what they've been told to do. Yep. They have. They have. They stand down. They absolutely do nothing. Now these people are running around. They think they've got the upper hand, yeah, and they do. Well, I don't know if you saw uh, Biden's speech yesterday, but he flew to Pittsburgh on a private jet. Uh, there was about oh, four, well, there you go. forty or fifty people there to greet him. He goes to the uh, Carnegie Mellon University spot where he's going to give this speech. Uh, five people or five reporters are there along with somebody to to tape what's going on, and uh, he goes out delivers some pizzas. Uh, <laughs> and visits a fire station, does one of his uh, uh, photo ops, and then flies home. And there were no people there. He didn't greet anybody. I mean, why even get out of the basement? Why did he do this? I I don't know, but I'll tell you, I I'm nervous that he's not doing much, and maybe because he doesn't have to. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of nervous about where the polls are. I don't know how accurate they are, but it's it's a nail biter. Well, I'll say this: uh, the Democrats changed strategy. They decided to bring Jill out of the basement, and that uh, well, I think what they're recognizing is all this violence. They they're trying to blame. Or yesterday, Biden tried to blame this all on Trump. You know, uh, he's yeah. responsible for the people who are viol- who are who are uh, looting and and viol- and uh, all the violence that's going on. But <laughs> these are big people are basically hate Trump, so I don't know why he's responsible. But the point is that uh, obviously they're not liking what they see in the polls. They're, the Democrats are being, you know, they're they're being uh, blamed for the violence. Mm-hmm. So I, I let's stay tuned. It should be ever changing. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what the takeaway from coming to Kenosha will be. 
could be very, very good, or it could be very, very bad. Mm, interesting, Boo. Hey, before I, I let you go, don't know. <clears throat> I got to just tell you one other thing. Uh-huh. My hero is Warren Buffett. Yep. He, tr- I mean, he's the great entrepreneur. Yep. He turned ninety, and do you know that this is a little factoid about him? His net worth is about eighty-two billion, which is jaw dropping. That's a lot but of. Do you know that he accrued ninety percent of that sum after the age of sixty-five? Isn't that amazing? Think about it. I didn't know that. Well, you know, he's the Oracle of Omaha. He still lives in a home. I think that he, you know, he's lived there in like 50 years, a small little bungalow type of place. So he he doesn't surround himself with all the uh, the uh, trappings of, of wealth, but uh, he's done a great job. He's just such an interesting man. Boo, I always appreciate your perspective here on what's going on. Uh, hopefully this uh, trip to Kenosha will turn out positively, and I just genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Uh, all right, have a good day, Boo. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show. Here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Get tickets now by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dr. James Studnicki from the uh, Charlotte Lozier Institute. Right now we have with us Seton Motley. Seton is the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm well. Thanks Thanks so much for joining us. Tell us about Less Government. Yeah, we exist to reduce the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government, and we're headed in the wrong direction in most cases. <laughs> in most cases. Sounds like you've got a predator right outside your door uh, there. dog is barking at nothing. It's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. i no, no worries. Uh, life happens, huh? So uh, you wrote a column called Leftists Are Stupid and They Lie, It's Their Jam. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah. I saw an article over the weekend that was just okay. Look, there are two. I've always said there are two tiers of leftists, right? There are the leadership, and then there's the rank and file. Mm-hmm. Uh, the leadership isn't particularly bright, but they are cunning, and they know they'll t- they'll feather their own nests when the when the you know they know that socialism doesn't work, collectivism doesn't work, but they know they can feather their own nests after the collapse. And while everyone else will be screwed, they won't be. Uh, the example I gave in the article was 
Hugo Chavez, the communist, he destroyed Venezuela. But what a shocking coincidence, his daughter's the richest person in the country. <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the leftist rank and file are cannon fodder for the leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, they're dumb, they're, they're malleable, they, they'll believe anything that they're told. Uh, thank you, government schools. Um, the example, you know, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are not burning cities down. Their idiots are. Their their useful idiots are. Um, you know, uh, they've always been. They've always viewed their their voting base as dumb. This goes back to the Soviet Union in World War II when Joe Stalin cleared minefields by marching troops into them. Mm. Um, you know, that's that's what they do. So. I, there was an article in TechDirt. TechDirt, you, you know, for people who follow the media and know it's leftist, the tech media is a perfect subset of the broader media. Mm-hmm. Anything that has to do with politics, they're compl- you know, there are articles that are strictly, you know, on the tech stuff and reviewing different, uh, you know, operating systems on mobile devices and that sort of thing. But anytime politics comes within a thousand miles of the article, they're hardcore leftists. Mm-hmm. And there was an article, it, it amazes me, the, um, <laughs> the headline was, the, the broadband monopolies. And I went, wait a minute, you can't pluralize monopoly in a field. All right. Monopoly means one, you moron. <laughs> and what they actually meant was, cable broadband providers... Control seventy percent of the there's like uh, control seventy percent of the market. Mm-hmm. Well, that's also not a monopoly, you moron, because that means thirty percent isn't controlled by it. And what and and then the only other example of non hard line cable broadband that they offer is DSL. Mm-hmm. Well, I found an article from two thousand twelve, eight years ago, which of course in technology years is an you know the Jurassic. Uh, period right. of technology, saying that DSL was dying because it can't keep up with other technologies. So the only other example he pretends we have is DSL, which he complains the phone companies aren't upgrading. Well, that's because they're on the old phone line, copper phone line. Right. So it's incredibly expensive to upgrade, up, uh, upkeep, let alone upgrade. And, of course... It can't provide the speeds that just about every other provider can provide. There's a very low ceiling on how fast you can go over phone lines on the Internet. Right. So, of course, they're letting them die. There's, you're, you're, it's, like, it's like trying to prop up the horse and buggy industry when everyone's driving Fords and, and, and Hondas. Right. Um, so... so he, what he ignores, of course, is, well, there's satellite, which is a small player, but it is faster than DSL, and it's great for remote areas. And he doesn't even mention cellular technology. Right. The phones, the cell phones, which have connected to the Internet now for almost 15, almost 20 years now. And at 4G, we're at fourth generation 4G, and those speeds have been competitive with, with hardline for years. Right. And we're about to get 5G, which is going to be, on average, 10 times faster than 4G. So he out of curiosity. And this lying moron doesn't <laughs> mention that when complaining about the lack of competition in broadband. Yeah. I, I wonder how, I'm not sure this is a relevant question to the conversation, but what percentage of people actually uh, use a computer that's wired as opposed to... Uh, a right. That, that's, that's becoming less and less, and with 5G it'll be less and less. I, I read something yesterday in my research where like 14% had given up a hard line for wireless and yeah. 4G, um, something like that. And of course, when it gets 10 times faster... It'll be more. I don't know. Um, I, can't, I, I, I know so many people who certainly have the means to have a, a landline in their home. And they don't. And they don't. Absolutely, because they, they find that the convenience of having a cell phone, it's, it's the quality of, the, of transmission, everything is just, just fine. You can stream HD video on your wireless cell phone over the wireless network. Mm-hmm. Nothing is more broadband intensive than video, much less high-definition video. And we all do it seamlessly everywhere. 
at some point you have to say, what the hell are these lying idiots talking about? <laughs> that we, we have horrible Internet and we don't have enough competition. How many, how many national wireless carriers can you name off the top of your head right now? Well, five? About six. at least five, yep. Yeah. And then, of course, the wired is, is, you know, they always like to fixate on wired because it's very expensive to do wired. Because you've got to dig trenches and lay cable and connect to telephone poles. That's the most expensive thing. Now, keep in mind, you can't have wireless without wired. Mm-hmm. Because your cell phone does not go in, you know, your call to me, cell phone to cell phone, does not travel exclusively over wireless uh, pathways. They, it, tra- it does both. Um, that's part of why these engineers are so amazing that they handle all this stuff. But, you know, you can't do wireless without wired. So it's, it's not like wired is going away. But to ignore wireless completely in your assertion that there's not enough competition is just you're either an idiot or you're a liar. That's the only two possible conclusions you can reach about the person doing it. Yeah. So is there a piece of legislation pending, or what's, what's driving this concern? Uh, no, he's just, this is what the left does. They periodically complain <laughs> about the lack of competition in broadband. Unbelievable. By the way, they never complain because they get money from Google that 92% of searches in the United States go on Google. I know. Unbel- which is, by the way, my, by my math, higher than the 70% of hardline customers that he's complaining about. All right. Seton Motley, again, the founder and president of Less Government. I encourage you to visit his website, lessgovernment.org, lessgovernment.org. You can also visit Less Government on Facebook. Seton, always a pleasure to get your very informed and interesting commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope the piece wasn't too subtle. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Seton. All right, coming up, we're going to visit uh, for, with Dr. James Studnicki. He's the director of data analytics at the Charlotte Lozier Institute. Our topic Racial disparities in abortion. Look forward to that conversation. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, vfga.org. We have with us Dr. James Studnicki. He is the Director of Data Analytics at the Charlotte Lozier Institute. Dr. Studnicki, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Thank you, Dr. Studnicki. Tell us about the Charlotte Lozier Institute. Uh, the Lozier Institute is the research arm of the Susan B. Anthony list, and our role is to bring good, objective science to issues related to reproductive health, including abortion. Uh, great organization. And so uh, you wrote a paper, I think you and one other person or two other people wrote a paper called Racial Disparities in Abortion. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yes, what we did is essentially trace the uh, gap, the disparity in abortion rates between black women and white women uh, in the United States for a period of about uh, 30 to 50 years. And we demonstrate what what a lot of people know already, and that is that there has been a that that uh, black women are three and a half to four times as likely to have an induced abortion than uh, than white women. It's been true for as long as we've been collecting data, and likely it's been true uh, even before there was data available. Yeah, the irony about this is that uh, we have this movement, Black Lives Matter, but apparently unborn black lives don't matter that much. Yes, it's uh, ironic that in a, in a time when there's a, a, a sensitivity about the value of black lives, that the, that the leading cause of death, uh, uh, which is abortion for, for, black, for blacks, uh, is ignored um, by the scientific community and uh, largely ignored by the media as well. Uh, Doctor, uh, can you give us an idea about how many, uh, what time period, over 50 years, one year, whatever metric that you might have, how many actual abortions have occurred for uh, black women? Uh, uh, the, the, the number is likely from uh, the period of um, Roe v. Wade, the number is likely in excess of 20 million. And, uh, and the years of potential life loss uh, related to those uh, abortions is a staggering number uh, in the in the calendar year. Uh, for example, 2015, we estimate potential life lost to, to abortion uh, in the United States is about 52 million lives for a single year. Wow! Uh, taking a step back, why did you conduct the study? Well, there's always, we, we're very much interested in issues, all issues that are related to uh, induced abortion. Uh, and we're, we're concerned also about some of the misinformation that, that is uh, provided, especially by abortion providers, uh, one of which is that uh, women of color uh, lack access to reproductive services uh, and abortion. And and yet, when you look at what the data shows, it's clear that a, that blacks are disproportionately uh, represented among uh, women who have abortions. And some people have suggested that that is a purposeful targeting by the abortion industry. In fact, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and maybe this came from your research, but uh, a Planned Parenthood sites are typically around or near uh, communities, uh, poor communities, especially where black people live. That's correct. There's, a again, a disproportionate location of uh, those clinics that are, op- uh, that are owned and operated by Planned Parenthood, those that do provide abortion. They're disproportionately represented in places that are very easy access to minority communities in the United States. And uh, my understanding also from your research is that uh, once uh, a woman has an abortion, they're likely to have perhaps a second or third as well. Yes, that's from another paper that we just published recently that indicates that uh, abortion begets abortion. That once a, and these are what we studied were Medicaid-eligible women in the 17 states that reimburse fully for abortion services. Unlike a woman who has a birth or even a natural fetal loss, 
uh, women who have abortions are much more likely to get pregnant again and much more likely that those subsequent pregnancies are going to result in another abortion. Yeah. Uh, so abortion begets abortion. You know, I, I, you're reminding me of it. I saw a live presentation by Tucker Carlson about this, and he did mention, he says that I can't imagine any woman who's had an abortion looks fondly back on the experience, and, and, is, and it's got to be a dark moment in their lives. Well, there's a vast literature that talks about the, uh, uh, about the response, the emotional response of women who have abortions, and the, the sequelae, if you will, the, the, the tr- problems psychologically that women have in years uh, following abortion, increases in uh, drug abuse, uh, increases in suicide, uh, and it's it's a it's an area of research that needs more development. And we are we, we plan to publish extensively in that area in the future as well. So uh, you had mentioned that the the stereotypes of the mis uh, misinformation that's out there. Uh, can you give give us an, another idea, or a couple of ideas about the types of misinformation that you'd like to correct? Well, of course, both well, the the the. the, the misinformation that uh, abortion providers depend upon is they deny that an abortion is a death. Yeah. I mean, they simply just conveniently, uh, they conveniently uh, excuse the fact that uh, in every abortion there is a death. So the number one mythology is that there is such a thing as a safe abortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they talk about as a safe abortion is one in which the mother doesn't die, it's sort of like uh, it's sort of like referring to a hanging as a safe hanging when the hangman doesn't get caught up in the rope. Yeah, uh, and so that the the number one myth of all is uh, is denial of the objective reality that abortion is in fact a death. Yeah, you see the science, and, uh, and I've forgotten the term now, but when you can see the baby, uh, like a f- even a few weeks in, into the term, yes. Uh, it, you know, it's just more and more evidence suggesting that life begins, you know, at conception, at as early yes. these these little these little people they can feel they can ex- experience uh, what's going on in their lives. So uh, it's amazing how science has really confirmed so much uh, about what we've uh, what we've believed intuitively that life begins at its inception. It's one of the reasons why, for example, an ultrasound, uh, which is required in many states prior to an abortion, it's one of the reasons why it's essential to make sure that the mother understands at the time that she's making the decision to abort or not to abort, that she understands that you're dealing with a viable, unique human being at that point in time. It's not a clump of cells. It is a human life. And 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 so for that reason, the 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 uh, idea of an ultrasound is really essential. Yeah, we have the uh, great organizations here in town that uh, offer alternatives to Planned Parenthood, and just so grateful yes. that that they're here. And they try to st- establish themselves close to Planned Parenthood locations, so that uh, mothers who are concerned, obviously, many in many cases, an unplanned. Uh, like uh, pregnancy, uh, the confusion, sense of loneliness, a sense of abandonment, not knowing where to turn. I mean, there's just a lot of things that these young women are going through. Fortunately, there are some alternatives. What is your, what are the conclusions coming out of your paper? Well, the primary conclusion, of course, is this is a the phenomenon that impacts dramatically, first of all, on the size and the demographic composition of the American population. Uh, there's a lot, you know, we talk about eugenics, and they, we're all horrified by the thought that people would be making judgments about who can be born and who cannot be born based on, quote, how undesirable they are. But we have this phenomenon occurring uh, occurring every day in the United States, and it's a, it's a phenomenon that changes the size of the American population, the demographic composition of the American population, and people need very much to be aware of that. Yeah. And in the second and maybe the most important aspect of all of this is that an abortion is a preventable death. As you mentioned, there are many, many options available uh, to women who experience an unintended pregnancy and who, for one reason or another, uh, do not feel capable of raising that child, there are options available, and it's in, as you mentioned, 
there the the need to educate uh, women in that in that set of circumstances and to enable them and to assist them in making a choice for life rather than death at that moment is extraordinarily important. Absolutely. LozierInstitute.org. LozierInstitute.org is the website. Uh, Dr. Studnicki, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I found it informative and interesting. I hope you did as well. I always appreciate your feedback. You can send me an email at bobharden.com, bobharden at hotmail.com, I should say. Also, uh, if you'd like to receive the newsletter, I send out by email uh, each after each show. Again, bobharden at hotmail.com. Hope you'll join us tomorrow. We'll visit with Bob Levy, the chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll visit with uh, Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz. And Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of several books. Uh, his latest, How Everything Happened, Including Us. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs> so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>